everybody, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. And this is it. This is episode one of season two of Twilight Zone and, of course, this show. And with me today, oh, with me today I have a wonderful guest. He's got an, an MA in creative writing, an MPhil, is that what you say, an MPhil, in literatures of the Americas, and, of course, a PhD in English. Ooh, He's an author of several short stories and a published post-Jungian analysis of Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut. And he also has a new short story on the way tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the 16th of October. Uh, more importantly, he's my friend. Ah, Welcome again, Dr. Steve Groner-Nellerhoff. Good day, sir. Oh, thank you, Brandon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back and and letting me be here on the first episode of season two yes absolutely and and, and then uh, of course your, your um recap you said many very kind things on your recap episode for season one so thank you for that no, too no no problem at all you know i can only say nice things because there are so many nice things about you Ah, ah, ah. Let's let's just have this episode just be how how much we uh, admire and respect each other. It's a blush off. <laughs> it's you know who can make the other blush more. I bet you I can make grown men. <laughs> uh, that's a new Fox series, actually. Like when grown so. men blush Tuesdays on Fox. I'm gonna. Exa- I'm TiVoing the heck out of that at mom and dad's house. <laughs> I don't have TiVo, but mom and dad yeah, do, you know. TiVo's so. still a thing. Is... <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Mom and dad have it. It's great. I'm like, will you TiVo this for me? They're like, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, cable companies now just like come standard with a DVR, right? Yeah. So, I mean, supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah. Um, how, how, how have things been over on your neck of the woods? On your neck of the woods. Not in. On my neck of the woods. Right on it. Um. Yeah, they've been grand, you know, um, as the Irish say, it's, it's all been grand. Um, yeah, no, things are going all right. Um, we've got some uh, little things I've been working on, as yeah. usual, um, projects, you know. A little um, bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, we a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Really enjoying autumn, and um, um, I suppose the newest thing is is this sort of ghastly story that you know, I'm about to unleash on readers oh. along with my, uh, along with Kevin Storer, who, um, is, has collaborated with me on this and pretty much everything else I've ever done. Absolutely. So. And, and I do have, I do have some questions for you about that later, later on in the show. Sure. La- sure. Later That's on great. in the show. once, once we talk about, uh, today's episode, King nine will not return. Uh, it originally aired September 30th, 1960. It stars Bob Cummings as Captain Embry, um, directed by Buzz Kulik, his first of nine episodes of The Twilight Zone, and teleplayed by Rod Serling, and which is based off of uh, a true story of the Lady B Gone, uh, which is an actual like B B twenty four that that disappeared um, over the Sahara Desert many many years ago in nineteen forty three, and then they found it like seventeen years later. Um, like where there was no crew or anything around, but the the plane was perfectly preserved. So uh, Rod Stern was like, "Hey, that's a good idea for <laughs> for a story. Let's go ahead and make that into a Twilight Zone episode." Oh, creepy, creepy, creepy. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I posted an article about it because uh, Arrow Arrownet News or something like that actually posted an article about uh, this the the story of the lady be gone or lady be good. Good. Like, it's like Johnny Be Good, but Lady. Ah, there you be go. Good. Michael J. Fox. Chuck Chuck Berry was not on the plane, <laughs> um, but Michael J. Yes. Fox was, which is very strange. Yeah, absolutely, like one point twenty one gigawatts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you sent me that article, yeah. though. You sent me that article, which was really interesting. Yeah. And and then they did a TV uh, a TV movie for it, uh, Soul Survivor. Um, but that whole that whole story is kind of interesting. You know, we talk about like the uh, Bermuda Triangle and stuff like that, like just the, the, the hidden mysteries uh, or Amelia Earhart, you know, where, where she is. Amelia Earhart, of course. Um, uh, you know, uh, John, uh, John Lindenberg. That's not a, that's not a person. 
The Lindbergh. Linden, yeah, Lindenberg. No, Lindenberg. John Lindenberg. Oh, John yeah, Lindenberg. Yeah, nobody knows where, where or who he is. <laughs> Did he fly somewhere? We don't know. We don't know who. John Matzenberger. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Cliff Clavin. Um, D.B. Yes. Cooper. Another one of those mysteries, um, airplane-related yeah, mysteries. Right. Uh, Jack Jack Kulisoff. Again, another person that we don't know. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Uh, so the, this one focuses on James Embry. He's a captain of a B-25 uh, bomber. He wakes to find himself alone, crash-landed in the middle of a desert. With no sign of his crew, he starts to doubt his sanity. Despite constant attempts to think about his situation rationally, Captain Embry starts to crack. Occasionally, hallucinating images of his flight mates... And though he shouldn't know what they are, he, he sees some, some jets overhead, right? Uh, finally, he collapses. He rides around in the desert sand, clutching his sick gun in his hand. Sorry, that's... That's, that's, that's a... That's a <laughs> what? That's a song uh, called, it... called Ringo by... Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I sorry. Just, I got yeah. distracted. <laughs> taking me back, yeah. Uh, so he actually, so he's riding around in the sand, but he wakes up in a, in a hospital bed, right? So he, he's like kind of like clutching the sand, but then it pans over, uh, kind of well dissolves, and he's clutching like sheets of a hospital bed in his hand. Uh, there, two doctors explain that after Captain James Embry saw a newspaper with a headline about a lost uh, B-25 plane being found in the Sahara Desert, um, he kind of collapsed. And Captain Embry collapsed. Um, the bomber went down on a mission, the one mission that the Captain Embry didn't lead. So the when he saw the headline, his guilt was so overwhelming for not going on this mission and, and being with his crew that he just collapsed, right? Uh, now, the, the twist comes in when the nurses, they bring over some of his clothes, and one of his, one of his shoes tips over, releasing a bunch of sand, a bunch, a bunch of, sand. of sand, like a lot of sand. It's like that shoe was full of sand. <laughs> like, like if he's wearing the shoes in the desert, he wouldn't have had that much sand in it because it would have been uncomfortable. Right. Because right. his foot was in there, presumably. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which seems to imply that he was in the desert with the B-25. Ooh. By the way, the plane's name is King Nine. Okay. Not going to return, King, and it's not no. coming back. Yeah, King Nine will not return. So, um. so Mister Steve, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Doctor Steve, if if I will, uh, there, there I am. Uh, when I say Doctor Steve, by the way, I've been watching a lot of Tim and Eric, and oh and yeah, Doctor Steve Brule. <laughs> Doctor Steve Brule, yeah, for your health, for, for your health, <laughs> for your health, uh, sweet berry wine. <laughs> I watched that one last night. <laughs> Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, so, um, all right, all right, Doctor Steve, what what did you, what did you think <laughs> of the episode? Um, well, um, thanks thanks for that that rundown. Um, in, in I um, I mean this was this is obviously is a very psychological episode, you know, um, just because. You know, we've got we've got him at the end being examined by a psychiatrist, as well as a medical doctor, right? Yeah. Um. So, um. So, as far as um, as far as metaphors go, I feel like this episode is a bit heavy-handed in terms of the metaphor it's it's dishing up. Yeah. Um. I don't think it's got as much subtlety as other episodes have, perhaps. Mm. But I think this issue of survivor's guilt um, among veterans is is a very real thing. And I feel like that's what we're talking about in this episode. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the overall theme that I, I, I took out of it was the, uh, the survivor's guilt, the guilt and responsibility. Uh, of, he talks about that all the time, doesn't he? He says, yeah. you guys are my responsibility. When he's when he's trying to find them. Um, and he cannot locate them around the crashed plane. Yeah, and he's constantly saying to himself, both in his in his inner monologue that we get, and then out of his mouth, you know, you guys are my responsibility. I'm responsible for you. Mm -hmm. 
you know, again and again. Yeah, in in uh, we we've talked about kind of the a little bit about survivor's guilt um, and and PTSD on Purple Testament, right? Um, does what does this episode do to like reaffirm your thoughts on survivor's guilt? Um, does it does it add anything to the, the conversation that wasn't already established? Well, yeah, that's no, that's a really good that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so what does it contribute to? to an ongoing conversation about about these problems um and i feel like it really i mean this is the first episode out of the second season so with the success of the first season you know it the show had presumably caught a lot of people's attention Mm. and so this is episode one of the of the second season um to lead with it um, I think sort of underscores how seriously Serling took it mm-hmm. uh, as an issue um, still. And I mean, he, um, his own experiences as a, as a veteran as well, yeah. and a combat veteran, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you wonder um, how much uh, of these things he was working on himself, or he was in a unique position to, lay them out for the American public on, on a, a weekly television program, you know? Right. Right. It, uh, the one thing I noticed was, you know, the, the first season opens up with where is everybody, right? A, a man who's isolated and alone and, and he can't find anybody and he's trying to think of things rationally. And so there, there are similarities to, to that, right? Like two, two season premieres in a row with kind of this isolation, uh, although there there are differences, right? Um, you know, the overall theme is is not isolation itself, and, and what effects it has on you, but the the guilt of of surviving. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a really really astute um, connection that you've made between the two premieres, because um, you know, with this one we've got we've got somebody who has been living in society these mm-hmm. 17 years since the incident, right? Is it 17 yeah. or something? Yes, yeah. 17 years. I'm so he's been living among everybody for the last 17 years, and he's been unable to deal with it, face it. So it's not a problem necessarily for this character of where is everybody, but wondering where is this crew, uh, who were my crew, who I lost, um, all those years ago, and I've been unable to deal with it uh, until he sees, presumably, until he sees this newspaper headline where the plane has been found in the Sahara. And it's front page news, and that's when the doctors say he just cracked. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. the implication, too, is that the force of that, the force of seeing that image on the newspaper sends him to the site of the crash. That's the implication, the psychological implication anyway, with the sand coming out of the shoe and everything, um, is that the shock is so great that it's, uh, it's as if he has actually discovered it, uh, falling apart there all these years later in the sand. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like as a, as far as metaphors yeah. go, that's pretty good in terms of one of 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 a a, a long term build up to a great big shock. Um, I don't know. You know, uh, 1943, he doesn't go on this mission. His plane disappears. Right? He doesn't know if it disappeared over the ocean. He doesn't know if his crew has gone on to live lives wherever. Right? He doesn't know if they have families or if they're they're still alive or if they're dead. So the kind of he has survivor's guilt. He, he doesn't he doesn't really have survivor's guilt necessarily for those seventeen years, right? He just he just has this uncertainty where he, I, I don't I don't know where they are. And then all of a sudden he sees a newspaper clipping, and now he's like, "Well, there it is. There it is. My crew has to be dead, or they have to be." And that's that's the time where like the the shock, as you said, pulls him into that location. He actually pulls into the desert and says, 
hey, we want you here to experience this, to know where our last kind of resting place is. Uh, and, and in the episode, you know, he sees, he sees the, the, the canteen in, in the desert. He sees yeah, a he... little, the little gravestone with uh, Blake, I think it is. Um, you know, and so he, he's like, he's figuring this stuff out there, not necessarily third, uh, from a third-hand source, second-hand source, that, like a newspaper or somebody telling him about it. Um, yeah, almost as if his crew is saying, "Hey, we're we're giving we want to give you a little bit of closure here." Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. I mean, I mean, you've got some. Um, um, they come up like he describes them like a mirage too, mm-hmm. um, you know. And there's the um, there are the moments where he sees um, he sees Blake, his co-pilot, mm-hmm. in the cockpit. <laughs> and he's kind of like, it's really creepy. Like, like he's kind of silently laughing, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But he looks. You're like, what is he doing? Yeah, it's unsettling. You know. Yeah, um, like, that he, image. He's laughing so like. He's like, <laughs> he's like, like you're he's, out here in a desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind. It is. It's um. It's a. It's a. I know something you don't know. Ha ha ha. Um. Really creepy. <laughs> Um, laugh, and then of course he, they use a d- dissolve shot or something to make it look like he vanishes. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it, it that part is so. You know, when you, when you think of the Twilight Zone as being creepy, that that weird silent laugh from a distance is is creepy. In an episode that's not really supposed to be creepy, that is a creepy part, right? Yeah, it's up. It's upsetting. Um, it's kind of upsetting. Um, and, and just the sort of what the episode does to the viewer right off the bat is it, it, it kind of mimics for us a state of disorientation. I noticed Mm. just in terms of, uh, very obviously, uh, having James Embry be so confused. Yeah. Um, right. You know, from the very beginning, he's wandering around, um, the plane and everything, and and the plane itself is is ruined. Yeah. I mean, there's like paint chipping off it, and all. It looks like it's been trashed. Yeah. And there's also, and also another thing about it is he's the character's 41 years old, and he's talking like, "Oh, I'm the captain of this plane, and where is everybody, and all that." But you're like. How many, I mean, this is what I was wondering, how many 41-year-old flight captains were there at the time? I mean, how old were the captains of these missions, bombing missions? Uh, Oh, man. Uh, As as representative of the Air Force, I should maybe know this, but I I don't. (laughs) Well, I was wondering, well, yeah, well, I mean, I've always been under the assumption or assumption, which those, you know, uh, are dangerous things, but that. (laughs) Um, you know, these crews were a lot younger typically than, than that. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, he, if it's 17 minus, uh, 41, that was the age his character would have been when he was the captain. But I feel like the age of the actor they use tells you like, whoa, something's not quite right here. Right. Right. In, in you find when the jets fly overhead, right. That kind of, that cements that. A, a little bit more, especially since yeah. he's like, what, "What the heck are jets? Wait, why do I know what jets are? This is 1943." That's, right. that's such an interesting, yeah, and that's such an interesting, um, that's such an interesting realization too. Like, how do I know what jets are? It's like in a dream where, um, where something where the dream is making sense, uh-huh. even though whatever is happening is just completely like okay, like for instance. <laughs> I um I had this this is just funny. Um a couple months ago I had this dream. This happened three times in the dream. Huh. Um I was parking my car and each time I I parked, put the car into park, a polar bear that was patterned like a panda bear, <laughs> but I knew it was a polar bear came charging at the passenger side of the car, bashed its head into the door, knocked itself out and rolled over. This happened three times, and each time I was all like, "Well, that's strange." 
it wasn't it wasn't like what it was well that's strange and it, and the thought was it's a polar bear though it's pattern like a panda but i know it's a polar bear you know how you have the logic of the dream itself yeah uh-huh. in the dream it's all making sense but every now and again a detail can come in and you're like hold on a second wait, wait. those are it's 1943 those are jets wait how do i know what jets are that is a dream experience and i feel like it's something many of us have probably had mm-hmm. and for serling to put that in is just it's one of those sort of it's sort of a granular detail you know that that really um feels honest and and sincere yeah um you know it oftentimes those those kinds of details um can really make a story pop mm-hmm. you know um i feel like that's one of them an instance of one of those yeah i the that brings up a kind of side point about like this this um his internal monologue right uh would you how do you, how effective do you think internal monologues are um with this episode or, or any episode really do, does it does it depend on the writing i, I don't know what are your thoughts um, well, I'm trying to think of, um, other instances of, um, internal monologues in television or film. I'm thinking of the main thing that's jumping out at me is, uh, Blade Runner. What happened with that? Oh, if, are you, are you aware of, of the monologue? Yeah. Yeah. And all the, the post recording of the, the monologue. Right. Right. And they ended up for the theatrical release, mm-hmm. they ended up going back and having Harrison Ford record, uh, uh, you know, monologue. Um, although I, I'm not sure it counts as internal monologue. It feels like it's more reflective after the fact. Yeah. Uh, uh, stuff. That, Sometimes, you know, that, that's a that's a that, good that's a good example um, of of what I'm thinking of because because Blade Runner they he does that that monologue right and it ends up being so expository that you know the the viewer is just being led led through it and like okay well he's just gonna tell me the story i don't need to figure these things out i don't need to find out if if deckard is a replicant or not like you just you'll just tell me um the, and that's perfect because one of the things i i noted for this episode that that bothered me just for an economy of of ex- exposition was when he starts his internal monologue he says where am i i'm I'm Captain James Embry, yada yada, right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to. You didn't have to tell me that, because not even like two scenes later, when he's going through that that hot plane in the middle of the desert, right? Right, right. Uh, he he goes to the uh, he goes up into the cockpit, and it says on the thing, Captain James Embry. Right. His right? name is painted on the side of this plane. Yeah. So the I, I just feel that. Sometimes internal monologues, they they tell you stuff that you can easily grab. A viewer can easily grab just from, you know, uh, less or or more subtle means, right? If you just go, he's like, I'm the captain of this ship, and then if he goes up into the cockpit, it says Captain James Embry, right? Yeah, well, and it's not like we get that shot for two seconds. It, you know, he's hanging out the side of that window looking out for there's a quite a long shot i know because i paused it and um counted i wanted to count all the bombs painted on the side and they're oh representing missions you know yeah and there were 29 of them so that when it crashed it had gone on 20 it, apparently it's its 30th mission huh. that it was going out on um but yeah it's right there i think you're exactly right about economy and to bring that up with monologue. And I think your sensitivity to that is spot on. It, it does become a bit of a glaring annoyance <laughs> because, because when you're a viewer, you're kind of like, well, I'm not a dummy. Um, yeah. you know, I don't need you to spell everything out for me here. Like I, I'm smarter than you're giving me credit for, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're, I think you're very right there. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned I mentioned the hot plane before. Uh, so I, I worked I worked on C-130s for for a few years in the middle of uh, Arkansas, and and it never got you know past a hundred in Arkansas. But working the the plane in the in the the cargo bay, 
it's it's hot as a mug in there. So I want to I want to throw a shout out to the the creators of this episode, and really uh, uh, the 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 man who played James Embry, uh, Bob Cummings, because man, it has to be so hot in that desert in that plane in the middle of the blazing sun. Oh man, Ugh. yeah, I had yeah. I mean, you know, it looks it it looks kind of like maybe they're in the salt flats or something. I don't know. Um, it looks like a very flat place where they where they parked that wrecked B twenty five. Yeah. Um, for the for the filming, um, but it it I w- I really was sort of feeling for the guy, um, you know. Um, he carries this himself. He has to, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty much for the most part. Yeah. Um. And 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 he, and he does. Uh, it, all any time he he's he's like trying to he's talking about thinking things rationally and you know even uh I, that reminds me actually of another point is he's he's talking about uh rationally and he's like okay well what is the explanation behind this right and he he gets it right one time he's like what if i'm just yeah. what if i'm back yeah and i'm in a hospital bed right yeah and i've cracked up yeah. what if what if you know and he's just and he's laughing about it. he's like, <laughs> like yeah what if what if it's that he has that's a really interesting point um in it um because yeah he rattles off a few possibilities of sort of oh he's all like maybe maybe i'm out on the town with a girl or something and you know i'm <laughs> i'm drunk and i was just like man if you are that's a, the, that's a bad night out you've um, been roofied man yeah yeah you need to get your stomach pumped <laughs> like an hour ago yeah um that that's ooh. um <laughs> but you're right he um he does that, and that's a really, that's a really um, fun point that he actually does. One of his possibilities is what's actually happened to him. Um, Great, crazy Captain Embry. He's, yeah, he's so smart. He's thinking of things rationally using Occam's razor, and uh, he he just kind of dismisses it as he starts laughing maniacally. Yeah, I mean, it, they call it cracking up for a reason i mean he is that's it i mean he 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 really plays um plays that moment of just losing it like the only thing he can really do is laugh yeah um he 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 hits it um and um uh yeah there's there's another part where the actor it's bob cummings is that right yeah Mm -hmm. like the vulnerability he shows uh, when he wakes up with the doctors there right. and, um, and he, uh, he brings up the jets or whatever. And the, the one doctor completely, the, the shrink completely rationalizes it. he's like, well, basically and he's got really creepy eyes too. They're kind of like on the sides <laughs> of his head and, and they're really big. He's whoever they cast that guy brilliantly. And he's, um, he's like, well, basically what happened is, you know, your, your guilt came out in the open after 17 years. That's all that happened. And then, um, and then Bob Cummings is all like, well, well, I feel like I went there or I was there. And, and then he, and he goes, did I? Did did I go there? The way he says "did yeah. I" is so. Um, the the acting there is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Because he's in this incredibly vulnerable moment, and he's wondering, like, did I actually? He's 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 asking for some confirmation of his experience, and he's kind of afraid to do it. And um, but and he and he's just brave enough to do it. Yeah. That. The delivery of those two lines, um, fantastic. Do, do, you, do you think they're going to tell him about the sand in a shoe? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, hey, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> James, where did, were you at the beach earlier today? <laughs> yeah. Dude, was there a sandbox that you were playing in or something? Um, do, do you just keep sand in your shoe as just a... Yeah, that next foliator through the day, just like <laughs> oh, every Tuesday I put sand in my shoe. Yeah, uh, I'm an executive for Biore now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, 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 okay. Overall, uh, what do you what do you rate this episode? Oh gosh, um, this episode, you know, um, 
Well, it's kind of it's kind of tricky. I um, it's not one of my favorites. Um, I feel like it raises important issues, though. Um, I think I'd give it out of five hedgehogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to give it right down the middle. I, I could be talked up to three hedgehogs, but I think I'm going to give it two and a half hedgehogs. Two and if a half you want to, if yeah, if you want to talk me up to three, you can talk me up to three. I was thinking about this all last week. Um, if you can talk me up to three, I'll 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 take it up to three. Hey, I'm not I'm not in the business of trying to convince. So <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going to do anything to try to convince you to move it up to three hedgehogs, except all right. that two and a half hedgehogs sounds kind of morbid. So <laughs> oh yeah, is it the front half or the back, right. or is it split down the middle, or right, uh, right, or or maybe yeah. like the the hedgehog is. Like it's still alive, but it's like paralyzed from the the waist down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, so, it's, still, so it's not dead, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it has, it has a loving family that takes care of it. Of course, and great friends, and a yeah, yeah, good um, support system. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Two, two and a half is good. Yeah, kind of like James Embry. You know, he's gonna need some help going forward. He is. Um, he actually is. Um, you know, having finally faced this thing. Yeah. Um. What what do you think? Where do you where do you place this on the Richter scale? Um, so I, going based off of your your hedgehog scale, I'm gonna give it I'm give it a three three out of five hedgehogs. Um, yeah, see, I, I I can respect that. I can totally respect that. Yeah, because it 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 brings up issues, but it doesn't necessarily do anything to. Um, doesn't doesn't have any answers for it. It just says, "Hey, survivor's guilt." It's it's a it's a thing, which which you know some could argue. Well, just bringing up bringing it up is is a good step in the right direction. Um, right, right, and it is it is. But I feel like when you've had, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we've had other episodes that are more complex. Yeah. Um, than this, on that basis, um, that's why. That's why my hedgehogs number as they do. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> and, it, and I and I and I think the the twist is kind of shoehorned in. Oh, <laughs> I just came up with that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I mentioned the similarities between where is everybody before, and yes. one of the things Rod Serling wanted to do for where is everybody originally was have like a ticket stub in his pocket at the end of the episode. When he's when the isolation booth is done, he he's like getting carted out, right? And a ticket stub falls out of his pocket, which implies that he wasn't he was actually in some other place. Oh right, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Which that wasn't in the original episode. They might have they might have filmed it, but I feel like they're like okay, uh, that that thought that idea. Let's go ahead and and shoehorn that into <laughs> Abs- Well, yeah, King Nine, literally, literally. Um, shoot. Yeah, it's, it's there. Um, I think, I think you unraveled a bit of, of the man's storytelling right there. Um, <laughs> and we, we know that, we know that, uh, um, uh, little bits of ideas, you know, that don't work their way into one thing end up, you know, in another thing later. So, uh, that's just how it works. Um, but yeah, it, you know, in terms of, issues and all that it was what what was the air date of this again it was the 30th of september okay of 1960 okay okay and so we're you know 15 years out from the end of the war and um and you know i guess one thing i hear from baby boomers and you hear a lot is that so many of their parents who um, were in the war, didn't ever talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, about their experiences or this, that, or the other, and um, and and kept it all very close. Um, and um, and this seems like it fits in with that. It 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 seems like it fits in with um, acknowledging that stuff had happened. Mm. over there that was really 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 hard to deal with yeah 
um, and even over the long term, even over the long term, um, still hard to deal with. And I, I feel like it's a, a sincere um, acknowledgement of that fact of service. Right. That that's that it's okay. Something did happen. Um, you don't you you shouldn't keep you shouldn't try to keep it in necessarily because it could have ramifications in the future or something can trigger it, right? Right. 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 Um and that, you know, um that just the just the very basic acknowledgement that this happens. Yeah. Um that and and people who would be feeling the way James Embry would be feeling, I presume would be feeling uh very alone in it. Um as well. He's never married, they say. Yeah. He's he's um single. Um you, you, when when you think of the the lady be good and the the families of those those crew right they they don't know what happened to their their friends and family either and so uh james embry in this in this uh episode it is almost a proxy for them right it's like what what happened i don't know what happened and then finally just coming to that that shocking realization that the people that you know and love aren't there anymore that they are in fact gone um it's it, it's like folks who like if uh, one of their child uh, children disappears right you're you're hoping you're hoping that they're going to be okay but until you actually either they 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 get the negative part of the story or maybe a positive part of the story they don't they don't know and they're in that uncertainty um which which it would actually be a good segue into uh, your story here in a second. <laughs> oh right, oh right, yeah. Because there, there's that aspect of it, which I'm not gonna not gonna ruin for anybody, because it's a good story. But uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. So let well, me. Yeah. Go ahead. This, um, I don't know. I, I I think that I think um, it must be unimaginable. I mean, and to bring it back around to the fact that this is based on a real event a real plane um it would be awful to spend 17 years it, one year you know one day yeah uh wondering what happened um i mean i and, know like yesterday i i had a 20 dollar bill and i spent five dollars of it and so i had i had three five dollar bills left right basic math uh, and I, I went a little bit later to a different store, and the bill was like ten dollars. Like, okay, cool. Let me get my let me get my fifteen dollars out, and it wasn't there. And and I spent the next what? <laughs> I like I'm not trying what? to compare my my losing fifteen dollars to a, a parent's it's, grief. It's but, clearly on the same scale. <laughs> but I was like, I was obsessing about where my fifteen dollars went. Well, yeah. Well, I would be. I think any of us would be. It's like, so where did it go? I don't know. What? <laughs> maybe, maybe next when I see a fifteen, when I see fifteen dollars somewhere in the maybe in like a week, maybe I'll just like flash back to <laughs> you. You will to that moment, like the, the cash, we, the cashiers where that fifteen dollars is like in just in the drawer, out in the middle of the desert, exactly with the cashier, <laughs> with the cashier, <laughs> just yeah. And she's like, well, why and she's am just I behind, here? She's just silently laughing behind the register. She's just like, ah, <laughs> but you can't hear it. Cha-ching. And you're like, no. Here's my $15. Um, yeah. I'm responsible for that $15. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, all right, man. Well, well, thank you so much for, for helping me out with, with this episode. Oh, uh, absolutely. It's, a, it's a, an honor and a pleasure and a privilege, as it, always. It, and I, I want to I talk to you about some of your, your stuff, right? Specifically, what's coming out tomorrow, October seventeenth? If you're if you're listening to this on the sixteenth, but October seventeenth, right. general, uh, skinned in the willows. It's coming out on Amazon. Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about the story? Yeah, um, I I suppose um, it's a the story is a collaboration between me and Kevin Storer, who's a, he's an artist who lives in England, um, and. A very, very dear friend. Um, 
And we uh, we came up with a story that basically, I suppose, um, it's it, it's sort of a true crime approach to British uh, animal children's literature. Um, so uh, it it follows Detective Chief Inspector Badger uh, in recounting uh, what went into solving some horribly grisly murders uh, on his uh, home turf. Um, uh, so I suppose that's that, – I, I hope that's what you read anyway. I hope yeah. I didn't send you something else. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the one I read. Uh I was I was afraid it's gonna there was gonna be tentacles in there for the, oh the, that would have been cool Ooh, yeah, yeah. a little bit of hentai um, yeah but, just a bit <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so so I so I read it uh, I made I made Chelsea read it and I I, I bugged her Thank for like you. the last week I was like hey did you read Skinned in the Wells yet she's like no I'm going to and then like two hours later hey did you read it yet she's like no I'm about to really that that happened for like three or four days in a row and then finally she's like okay I read it. It was good. I really liked it. That's a, that's wonderful. Um, no, that's great. I mean, I've had I've had girlfriends who I've tried to get to read anything I wrote, and then they and then <laughs> it's been and then like it's been you know seven months, and then it's like uh, this is over. <laughs> this is. <it. laughs> uh, well, you know, so thank things, you. So thank her for me. Absolutely. Basically. You you got it. You got it. Uh, one thing that we both liked was it. It takes that you know you you mentioned it's like a true crime take on it. And so we really like that, that making a murder or dateline NBC approach to storytelling. Um, was, was it a conscious decision to put it in that style from the, the get go? Absolutely. And, and thank you for picking up on that too. Um, because, um, I, I can't speak for Kevin, but I know that he and I have had conversations about those television programs um you know 48 hours um yeah. dateline um you know sort of like the keith morrison approach <laughs> to storytelling yeah. you know um which is there's something you know bill Hader doing keith morrison is one of the funniest things <laughs> i've ever seen um but there is something compelling about it and there's something compelling i mean they figured out a formula or something yeah. where they've they've turned actual murders into Friday, Saturday night entertainment full of commercials, mm-hmm. um, which I, in itself, I just find very strange. Um, I find that a very strange aspect of our television culture. Um, they do it in Britain as well. They've got loads of documentaries about murders and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that, that, tendency of turning murder into entertainment actual murder into entertainment is perverse and somehow in talking with kevin about it that linked up with animal stories for children and sort of presented itself as possibly a way of sort of underlining how disturbing it is that we find this entertaining i don't know we we noticed both both of us noticed and we made made the comment me and Chelsea um, about you know, having the animals in the story like cha- changing it up right because we 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 just watched the Amanda Knox documentary on on Netflix oh is it good it it is it is good it is good okay okay because um, I, I saw that that had come out recently and and um, I was curious about it yeah it is good I mean it takes kind of the the the, the true crime approach but. The the thing that it does, I think, is kind of highlight not so much the murder aspect, but just how much the media and how the media portrays portrayed everything really uh, really affected how that that case went originally, right? Uh, they they have the, they interview the detective on there who's in charge of the case, and then this this British um, uh, journalist they call him journalist. I don't know if that's right to call him that because he's kind of a he kind tabloid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, he, and 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 he says stuff like with no, with no problems. Just like yeah, I had to get a had to get a headline out because if I was going to do it, somebody else is going to do it, and that's that's just not good journalism, is it? Like, no, 
No, I mean, that's why we have, presumably, that's why we have, you know, competent ethical editors at the top, um, you know, calling shots to make sure the bozos, you know, on down the line aren't pulling, you know, funny business. Yeah. Uh, And and he also says at one point, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they come up, they give us some facts. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Like double check the sources or anything like that? No. Like, (laughs) you just got to push... Like no oh, man, that's what, that's exactly man. what you're supposed to do. Oh man, oh man. So so the oh, the documentary man. kind of goes away from the actual murder stuff and and really kind of like puts it on the the media and how the media spun it a little bit too, um, as kind of a, a critique almost about how we view these these murders. Um, that's it, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, have you ever seen Watership Down? Oh, yeah. oh. Okay. oh yes, oh okay. yes. Uh, was was there? Were you going for like a kind of watership down vibe in a little bit? I was, uh, uh, you know, um, yes. I mean, there was there was some of that because I had I I wrote an article about um, watership down that was due. Oh, I don't remember. I, I'd been working on it for some time, um, and so I wrote. Yeah, I wrote this article about Fiverr. And about um, sort of um, how it's really interesting that Richard Adams and then a bunch of other kind of middle class, comfy life, Western white guys in in the second half of the 20th century got really into shamanism and like all the and the shamans and all that. Um, And we see it come out in Watership Down big time with with Fiverr. So um, I was working on that uh, definitely, and uh, around the same time that I was working on some of this skin in the willows, and so there was some of that that definitely informed it. I think um, I tried to inject a, a couple of little things in there, um, Easter eggs or whatever. There are some um, shout outs, I suppose, to character names from other. Um, British children's literature that I am aware of. Um, there's some Enid Blyton references as well. So, yeah, so there's a bit of that shenanigans going on. Um, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Awesome. And the art, I mean, Kevin's art is fantastic, and um, uh, you didn't get the full spread, but um, it's heavily illustrated. Yes. Um, it's meant to. It's meant to be heavily illustrated. So it has this bizarre vibe of of it's sort of like um, a crime scene sort of uh, photos or pictures. Yeah. Um, But then at the same time, also kind of like a really disturbing children's scrapbook perhaps. So as you're reading, it's the the text and images go together very closely and and out. I'm interested to see what the, the art is kind of, Along, along with the words, right? Because I've, I've looked at the art. Uh, you sent, you sent me those images as well, and they're awesome. And and, and Chelsea thought they're awesome too. There's like a, this. I don't know what style it is, right? But it's kind of like the shading is just single lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I think that's really, really cool. And there's some, like I said, like really disturbing versions of children's art, essentially. Yeah, I mean, Kevin's, yeah, I don't know how Kevin does what he does, but he just gets better and better, and it just, I've known him since 2002. His art has developed a lot, right, at, at, alongside my writing, sort of at the same time. We were both, you know, we went to school together for master's degrees in England, and he was getting a master's in painting, and I was getting a master's in creative writing. And so we were there for the same sort of reasons, and we have just stuck together, yeah. you know? And um, I, I couldn't be more excited about what he's doing, and he's got some other things up his sleeve that um, that are really going to be fun to watch. So he's, he's someone to watch as well um, on, in terms of just what he's doing. But yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that you, you know, took the time to read it and, you know, seeing as I've dated many women who wouldn't, um, and <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to, I'm trying to date you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Chelsea's going to be honked off about that. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, she doesn't have to know. You could be my, you could be my mistress. Just on the side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no problem. It, it's, it's a really, it's a really good story. Uh, as soon as I, I, you know, the first, the first page, I wasn't really sure the direction was going. And then as soon as I realized it was like a true crime, uh, true crime tale in the animal kingdom, then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm all in. And, and this, it was interesting and it, and it doesn't, it gets darker. It just, it just gets darker and darker. Uh, but it's, it it's really dark. If, if you guys like horror and you like horror tales, uh, that's not an animal joke, then you should really check. You should really check it out. It comes, <laughs> it comes out tomorrow on, on Amazon, October 17th, skinned in the willows. Um, and you can be found what on, on Twitter at Ellerhoff, right? Yep. Ellerhoff. E L L E R H O F F. Yep. That's yep. And that, if you find me there, you can find me dang near anywhere, anywhere, especially Steve Groner at Ellerhoff.net. That's right. That's where me. You, where you can find all of his material, all of his stories, get that post Jungian analysis. <laughs> yeah, you can get the get that squared away. You know, I I can we can you got that hankering for that post Jungian analysis? It's there. <laughs> if you ever wake wake up with cold sweats in the middle of the night, you're like, man, Kurt Vonnegut, Ray Bradbury, post Jungian analysis. I have to have it now. Now, Steve Groner, Dallerhoff dot net. I'll 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 help you out. <laughs> um, for for those who want to get a hold of me, there are a few ways to do that. Uh, you can get to me on Facebook, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram, S4YA underscore podcast, Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast, email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. There's a lot of S4YA podcasts, it turns out. If you want to call and leave me a voicemail, that's a thing that you can actually do. I haven't received one, but hey, if you want 860. I'm totally doing this. Hold on. <laughs> I'm getting, I, hold on. It's what? Hold hold on. What? It's, it's What's eight, the number? 860. Eight six zero, go TZ Pod. Took me like thirty hours to find find where I can get TZ and Pod in the same number. That's brilliant. I'll be calling that. All right. Uh, website. I am actually so I do have the show on GeekAid still, uh, but I did move the RSS to a new website, which is www.apatheticenthusiasm.com slash submitted for your approval. That is where my other show, also Apathetic Enthusiasm, is. So you can check that out if if you're interested. You don't ha- you don't have to, but Travis, my co-host, would love if you did. And finally, hey, thank you for all your iTunes and Stitcher reviews. Uh, don't don't stop don't stop till you get enough. Uh, I really appreciate all your your input and your feedback. And Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Help me out. Episode hey. one, season two. Episode one, season two. Congratulations, Brandon. Woo, confetti. You're doing, you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a weird party song. Actually, it is. I, I, I have I have the Twilight Zone theme on on vinyl, but it's like in like a weird oh. dis, disco era. Oh, what? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, we gotta, you know, <laughs> we've got we gotta put that on at some point. I'll I'll change the the beginning and end themes to that that version. That's that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, until next week, everybody. Next week we have uh, the great Tom Elliott from the Twilight Zone podcast uh, joining us. Uh, But until then, thanks again, Steve. I am Brandon Cruz. This is submitted for your approval. 